cheat. Raul Malo, Eddie Perez, the Mavericks, originally out of uh, Austin, Texas. They moved to Nashville, made a bigger names for themselves. They're considered a country western uh, band, but you know what? When you listen to their music, they cross over on everything from salsa to ska to reggae to uh, rock. Uh, including uh, including some swing just great music these guys are so dynamic if you get a chance check them out on YouTube or iTunes the Mavericks good Wednesday my name is Adrian Perez I am so glad you are here with us on the Wednesday version of uh, coast to coast Latino Brought to you by the Vida de Oro Foundation, a 501c3 nonprofit organization dedicated to the arts and entertainment. We are sponsored by U-Haul. So if you have uh, any moving or storage needs, contact U-Haul. We're also sponsored by OIC Tax Services. OIC Tax Services. Find yourself in trouble with the IRS? Contact OIC. Visit them at OIC.com. Make sure you ask for Bob. This week, uh, President Trump decided to visit uh, us over here in California. We are still socked in in smoke. The weather is very uncomfortable. If you spend any time outside, your throat will begin to hurt, your eyes will water, and you feel like you have some kind of a cold. But it's not a cold. Unfortunately, it's breathing in all those ugly particulates that are flying around, including ash. There's still lots of ash falling uh, throughout uh, throughout the entire state, and believe it or not, it's moved into uh, parts of Nevada, Arizona, and uh, the entire western uh, states right now are experiencing a, a really bad burn situation. California alone has lost uh, 300 million, 300 million acres of forest due to uh, a combination of carelessness and Mother Nature striking us with some uh, thunderbolts. And uh, both, uh, unfortunately, uh, have caught us ill-prepared to handle it. And what's amazing is everybody has been screaming and yelling about, uh, about the, uh, the Earth uh, becoming warmer. And uh, let me tell you, climate change is real. There's no question about it. What is causing climate change is still up for debate. We have scientists that say that it's man-made pollution. And then we have other scientists who say, no, the Earth's axis has actually shifted. As a result, we're a lot warmer and we're experiencing different weather. But the bottom line is, we should have been taking care of our forest. California has always been in the forefront of, uh, of designing and putting together environmental plans that make a lot of sense. We did it with plastics. We've, we've done it with uh, air pollution from the cars. I mean, we've done a lot of incredible things, but the one thing we have never been able to do is put together a strong forest management plan 
and uh, it may be due to the lobbying from uh, such organizations as the Sierra Club, as well as other environmental groups that have strong lobbies to alter legislation and alter the way we manage our forests. Had we followed a simple plan that had been put together several thousands of years by Native Americans, uh, we wouldn't be in this situation, but we are. And so the fires that we're experiencing is, in fact, a combination of the earth warming more, which means it's creating more dry tinder, which means that a small spark could easily cause a major fire. And in addition to that, since we haven't been really cleaning the forest and thinning them the way we should and the way our native uh, peoples uh, used to do it, you know, 200, 300 years ago, uh, we wouldn't be in this predicament. But the thing is, is that we are. And get this, most people think that it's California's fault for not uh, doing something regarding forest management. Well, surprise. California only owns about 3% of all its forests. 57%, 57% of the forests are owned by the federal government. So the federal government has failed to do its job in managing our forests. But again, we as Californians have always been very progressive and I'm surprised that we never put together an effective plan to be able to address forest fires uh, just as they get started. And uh, it's still not too late. I think it's critical that, we, that uh, Californians push their legislators, push the governor, and tell them, look, we don't want this anymore. Uh, the effects of all this smoke has not gone away. In fact, we probably won't see the real effects for about six months, maybe even 10 months. You know, and then you combine that with uh, uh, COVID-19. Let me tell you, we're, we're in a bit of hurt here in California. Uh, we can't blame our politicians, but what we can do is blame the federal government for not taking steps from the get-go. You see, two years ago, we went through a very significant fire in uh, in Paradise, California, where the entire town of Paradise was wiped out because of a forest fire. Donald Trump visited that forest fire. And when he got here, he told us, you ought to pull out rakes and, and, and rake up some of the leaves. When he said that, it, it clearly told me that he didn't have an understanding of how forests work. Uh, the least he could have done is perhaps sat down with one or two of his staff members and asked them, how do you manage forests and allow them to feed him some information? But his simplistic response to that particular tragedy uh, told me that he didn't have an understanding of how forest management works. Then he comes to Sacramento to talk to the governor talk to the uh, head of the uh, Department of, uh, of uh, or the California Resources Agency. The guy's a scientist, okay? And he's telling Trump, uh, we have an issue 
and we need to partner with the federal government again understanding that the federal government owns 57 percent of our forests uh he wanted to tell him look let's partner so we can address this and uh, let me share with you uh the uh, president's response if we ignore that science and sort of put our head in the sand and think it's all about vegetation management, we're not going to succeed together protecting Californians. Okay. It'll start getting cooler. I you, wish, just, you just watch. I wish science agreed with you. <laughs> hey, well, I don't think science knows, actually. I don't think science knows. I mean, the guy's arguing with a, an expert in forest management and climate change. And uh, again, it's a disappointment on, on many of our parts. Uh, there's an image that we have that the president of the United States has to be very uh, uh, worldly about all issues and have a, a dynamic response. But to turn around and, and tell everybody, oh, it's going to get cooler, uh, it goes in direct conflict with what scientists have been showing us for the last 10 years, and that's that the weather is getting a lot drier and it's getting a lot hotter, which is causing oceans to rise little by little. And uh, if if he had the, the most basic of science knowledge on that, he would have given us, I think, a very different response. Instead, by saying that it's gonna get cooler, he essentially told his staff, go out, do all the research, come back, and prove that I'm right. Because you know what? That's what Donald Trump does. He throws something out there, and it's up to his staff, his yes people, to find ways to make what he said an actual truth. And this is very reminiscent of what happened last week when Bob Woodward uh, released his book, called Rage, uh, describing uh, his interviews with Donald Trump. And uh, according to the tapes that Woodward provided, uh, Donald Trump knew that coronavirus was a very bad, very, very bad virus uh, back on February the 7th. And instead of coming out and telling us, hey, uh, this is really bad. Let's hunker down. Let's let's develop a strategy. Let's try to tackle it before it gets here, uh, or before it gets worse. Because rumor has it that it could have been here as as early as November of 2019. But that didn't happen. Instead, what we had is what we had Donald Trump coming on TV telling us that this thing was small, it was taken care of, it was being handled, uh, it was going to be small, it was going to be a small people, a small number of people that were going to be affected, and that it was going to go away by April as soon as it got warmer. And as things got uglier, uh, he kept looking for ways to, to, to kill the virus mentally uh, and not have us panic. But you know what? By that moment, we were already starting to panic because by that time, governors across the United States started taking action saying we need to shut down and we need to to develop a stay-at-home strategy to keep the virus from being spread and I have to admit New York and California were the first to uh, initiate that and from my perspective it was extremely successful by minimizing 
the spread of the virus, especially among essential workers. And uh, I have to admit, we we uh, we lack the ability to really track it at senior homes where we should have been paying a lot more attention. But overall, I think uh, when you look at the strategies that uh, Governor Cuomo in New York and Governor uh, Newsom in California, the, the strategies that they initially took were extremely successful. They addressed the issue. They minimized the distribution. And uh, when the big push showed up, to try to open up the economy because President Trump was telling everybody we need to open up the economy again. Um, you know, we opened up the economy, we opened up uh, the economy too soon. We allowed a lot of things to happen. Uh, and more importantly, we, meaning the general public, just didn't take it very seriously. As a result, we went back out there without masks. We went to uh, bars, we went to restaurants. Um, and uh, we distributed the disease like there was no tomorrow. And uh, so Governor Newsom in California had to shut down the state a second time. And this time uh, he was met with a lot of criticism and anger because there was doubt as to whether or not this disease, this virus, in fact existed. And uh, the comparisons that were being used were extremely childish and made absolutely no sense. For example, people were saying, well, if more people die of the regular flu than they do of coronavirus. Well, measuring the death of individuals is based not on a season, but on an entire year. With uh, COVID-19, we've already lost 195,000 people in just five months. Uh, at the rate we're going, we will definitely be close to half a million uh, by by this by this time in January, and uh, that's not good. That's not good for the uh, that's not good for the uh, for the economy, and it's definitely not good for the United States of America. Currently, we uh, we still lead the number of deaths in the entire world, and we also we meaning Latinos lead the number of people that are being uh, sent to the hospital in grave uh, situation because of our underlying medical conditions that include diabetes, high blood pressure, heart disease, and numerous others. So my recommendation, folks, is take this thing seriously. Do social distancing, wash your hands, wear masks. Don't get together in large crowds. And if you see people getting together in large crowds without masks, without the social distancing, let them know that it's possible they're distributing a, the virus among themselves. And uh, the New York Times uh, ran a, a very in-depth article on the the effects that COVID-19 has on the brain. And it's not good, people. It's not good. Even if you recover, you are going to have a lot of issues. And uh, again, COVID-19 is, is a horrible, horrible virus. And we need to take it very serious. Yesterday, 
was the official launch of Hispanic Heritage Month. It starts September the 15th and it goes all the way through October the 15th. Typically, we are filled with celebrations, with performances, with dancing, with activities, art events, etc. throughout the United States. And this year, the challenge, of course, is conducting the same thing, but on a virtual level. And for those of you who aren't familiar with uh, Hispanic Heritage Month, it is a period where we celebrate the independence of numerous Latin American countries, including Costa Rica, El Salvador, Guatemala, Honduras, Nicaragua, Mexico, Chile, and Belize. And also typically, Uh, There are numerous programs on radio and television that are produced specifically for the Latino community. Uh, But more importantly, it's an opportunity to share who we are as as a people. Uh, Latinos bring a lot of diversity into the United States of America, not only in terms of food, but of course culture. And when we share this information, it minimizes the fear that people have of Latinos, and it erases the the negative comments that are that are put out there by uh, individuals such as our president. That we are not all criminals. We are not all individuals that are running away or bringing negative things into this country. On the contrary, uh, we Latinos are extremely entrepreneurial. So we're always looking for ways to start a business and really get in there and, and, and make money. And if we make money as businesses, that means that we pay taxes. And the more taxes we pay, the more we become a stronger fabric of what the United States is all about. And we also come and we look for good paying jobs. Now, I know that farm workers are not the best paid individuals. And typically, believe it or not, that fault lies on our legislators. They had the opportunity to make changes to the uh, uh, to the National Labor Relations Board laws. They never did. As a result, uh, farm workers continue to be the lowest paid individuals. In addition to that, they're excluded from being paid overtime. But the thing is, is that we don't come here for farm work all the time. Many of us come here primarily because of the opportunities that are presented, the freedoms that are uh, presented for us to go out and be who we want to be, to really expand our abilities as entrepreneurs, as contributors to American society. I've stated before, and I'm going to state again, uh, we are 19% of the nation's population. That means that one in five Americans is a Latino and and what that means is that our numbers continue to grow what that means is that our ability to make major shifts 
in this country's public policies, in this country's ability to, to really impact the entire world, is not only an exciting opportunity, but it is in fact a, a, a wonderful thing, especially for our children and their children. We will see a lot of shifts coming in the next 10 years. Uh, provided that we participate heavily in the uh, census count that's currently happening uh, across the United States, uh, we could have significant impacts on the type of revenue that's coming into specific neighborhoods, and we can also have a significant impact in terms of the number of uh, representatives we are given to send to Congress to represent us. So the census count becomes extremely important. And during this uh, Hispanic Heritage Month, my recommendation to you, let people know how important it is to count themselves in the census. Uh, and also, when you're out there celebrating this, this time period, try to do it virtually. If you can't do it virtually, protect yourself. And I want to add another thing. Um, shop Latino. During this next 30 days, you should make an effort to go out and support a local, small Latino business owners. Okay, they have been hurt the most by this pandemic. And for any Latino business that's open and still out there, uh, I'd like for you to go out and shop Latino, purchase their products, find out where their products come from. Uh, if, if the products are coming from any of the countries that are celebrating uh, this, this incredible period, uh, that's even better because now you're, you're strengthening uh, the, uh, the country that it's coming from, the, the companies that are located in that country. Uh, but if they're made here in the United States and they're Latino-owned, that's even better. Okay, but shop Latino. Uh, buy from Latino restaurants. Buy from Latino clothing stores. Uh, if you go online, by the way, a lot of our Latino businesses are online check them out find out what they're offering and purchase latino plus if you're a reader like i am uh there's a number of books that uh are being recommended for you to read that are written by latinos um there is my other tongue by rose alcala it is a book of poetry cockfight by Maria Fernanda Ampuero, uh, which uh, it, it's a book that's been translated from Spanish, uh, but it's a collection of, uh, of uh, domestic horror and uh, everyday violence kind of a book. Uh, there's uh, After Ruben by Francisco Aragon. Uh, Aragon's, uh, this is Aragon's poetry collection, by the way. And for those of you who have never read Aragon's poetry, uh, it's, um, it's, it's, it's very emotional. It's good stuff. Uh, so I recommend you, um, 
you uh, find it and, and if you can't buy it. Then there's the Audacity of Language 8 by uh, uh, Canto Mundo Poets. And it's a group of poets who include uh, Susie uh, Garcia, Michael Torres, Angel Garcia, Anthony Cody, and Leslie Sines. There is also uh, the uh, Puro Amor by Sandra Cisneros. It is a, a bilingual chapbook uh, that includes uh, line drawings by Cisneros and features uh, hairless dogs, monkeys, etc. This is, by the way, one of the most interesting of, of all the books that, that I've looked at for the uh, for the uh, Hispanic Heritage uh, Month recommendations that I'm making here today. And there is uh, California Voltage by uh, Joshua Escobar. And it is a, a book that mixes family drama with travelogues. Uh, he interviews uh, people with HIV. Uh, and he also includes the biographies of many Mexican immigrants. Uh, it's lyrical, and uh, and also has uh, uh, an English pa a Spanish tint to it. Uh, so if you're learning Spanish, it's pretty good. If you're learning English, it's it's pretty good as well. So those are my recommendations for reading during the uh, Hispanic Heritage Month. I want to turn real quickly back to national politics because there's something interesting happening with the Latino vote, uh, especially in the uh, presidential uh, race. Uh, for some reason, Joe Biden is just not connecting with Latinos uh, in key states. And uh, that's a concern for the Democrats, of course, because Latinos are going to be a very significant uh, 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 decider on who will be our next president of the United States. Uh, being able to to see that uh, President Donald Trump has been really focusing hard on getting the Latino vote. I mean, he knows he lost uh, a lot of the uh, the uh, suburban mothers. Uh, he knows that he has lost. Uh, a large number of the African-American vote. And uh, he also knows that he has lost a lot of uh, businesses who who blame him for for their uh, their losses. And as a result, he's reaching out to Latinos. Right now, uh, it's estimated that he has approximately 35% of the Latino vote. Uh, that's a huge number, considering that he only had 29% when he first got elected in 2016. So here we are, four years later, and he is enjoying almost a 35% support by Latino voters. And so he went out uh, to Arizona this past Monday, and he held a rally. And during the rally, he uh, shared with... Uh, with the audience that he knows that Latinos want somebody that's going to be a, a, a tough individual on, on key issues uh, 
uh, such as crime, and also somebody who can produce and create jobs. Now, there's no question that Donald Trump has created a large number of, of employment, especially for for Latinos across the United States. Uh, but even then, Latinos have been the most impacted by COVID-19, which is the you know the item that that has caused the economic collapse and the unemployment of millions of people across the United States so if 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 you're thinking about voting for Donald Trump what i really want you to do is pay attention to whether or not he is sincere about public policies he's already pushed for and the executive orders that he has signed and that includes an executive order on the initiative of of developing an economic plan for Latinos in the United States and that also includes uh, ensuring the education of our children and I and I've said it a number of times the most important thing that we can do to our kids besides giving them or leaving them a very powerful and strong economic country, and that is to ensure their education. Because without their education, they're not gonna go very far. And they need to be well-educated. And believe it or not, that's the biggest thing that Donald Trump has offered us. No other Democratic president has ever offered us that level of support, that level of, of, uh, of, uh, of public policy and uh, and uh, for those of you who don't like Donald Trump we need to talk to Joe Biden and have Joe Biden's people go out and start pushing for uh, him to start talking to us about economic development and ensuring the education of our children across the United States we haven't heard anything from Joe Biden on that and in fact, we haven't heard anything from any of the Democrats on that. So something for you to think about before you go out and cast your vote. I want to thank you for joining me this Wednesday. Uh, my name again is Adrian Perez. I appreciate you visiting us uh, and listening to our podcast. If you want to keep up to date on all the different stories that we're covering across the United States on a daily basis, Join us on Facebook at, at Coast to Coast Latino. Facebook, Coast to Coast Latino. Uh, if you want to share your feedback, by all means, send us a, uh, an email at Latino at Coast to Coast Latino.com. That's Latino at Coast to Coast Latino.com. I want to thank you again, and we will catch up to you this Friday. Have a great week.